1: Hello, listeners. Dave and I are excited to announce that Sci-Fi Fidelity is doing another prize giveaway from Titan Books to help promote the podcast. That's
0: right, Mike. Three lucky listeners can win their very own copy of Altered Carbon, the art and making of the series. The official coffee table book companion to the Netflix series currently airing its second season as of February 27th.
1: Yep. It's a richly detailed and beautifully presented art book that takes readers from the glittering area to the gritty streets of Bay City. Featuring episode stills, development art, final designs, VFX builds, set photos, unseen storyboards, and concept art from the first two seasons, plus interviews with the cast and crew. Altered Carbon, the art and making of the series, will bring readers into this visually stunning futuristic world where technology has transformed mortality. Now, Mike, the
0: book will be available to the world on March 31st, but why would you wait when you can be one of the very first to get your copy? Entering is simple. Just follow Sci-Fi Fidelity on Twitter or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Sci-Fi Fidelity. Then respond to the giveaway thread, which is pinned to the top in both instances, and tell us who your favorite character is from Altered Carbon and why.
1: And you can also win a bonus entry for writing a review for Sci-Fi Fidelity on Apple Podcasts. Just tell us what name your review is under when you respond to the Facebook or Twitter thread. Social media entries only need to be on one platform. No need to do both.
0: The giveaway ends on March 26th and winners will be selected at random. If you're lucky enough to be one of those winners, you must respond to prize shipping address requests within 48 hours before new winners are chosen. Sorry, international listeners. We know we have quite
1: a few, but this giveaway is open to U.S. residents only. So follow us and comment, and remember to subscribe to Sci-Fi Fidelity wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Now, for this week's installment. You've
0: tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 95, Groundhog Day Episodes.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you here once again, and it's a discussion topic, one of our favorites because we get to involve the listeners, and I think probably with what's going on out in the world right now, uh, listener involvement remotely is is very much a good thing, and oddly enough, I think Groundhog Day episodes kind of describes how we feel about our day-to-day life these days with the coronavirus dave
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know it's funny because even though we worked together for many years we i guess we did record together at work surreptitiously of course <laughs> a few times but for the most part our recordings have been remote and i guess that's one of the great things about podcasters is we're going to be able to
1: keep giving you guys content on a regular basis Right. So that you don't feel like you're living in a time loop every day, yes. not being able to leave. So I think we had some great engagement from the listeners on Facebook in our Facebook group for contributions that we were not able to cover because this was definitely one of those topics, Dave, where it was extremely difficult to get it down to just six, three for me and three for you.
0: Yeah, no question. And the other thing that I learned as I was consulting some of these lists, and generally what we do when we cover one of these topics is we'll do a little bit of research. There are a plethora of lists out there that other people have done some homework for us. But the thing that I came to realize is I'm not sure a lot of these list makers truly understand what a time loop is, because a lot of their episodes were just really time travel.
1: Yeah, a time loop is definitely defined as a repeating day where one person or more, usually just one or two people, experience the same things over again and realize that it's the same, whereas everyone around them does not. And typically they have to figure something out to break them out of the loop and let normal time resume.
0: Right. And I'm going to cheat. And I've certainly cheated before. And <laughs> you, maybe you cheated once or twice. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, the episode that I'm going to talk about, I think. There are good reasons that cheating will be accepted at at this point, but you got something you want to remind everybody
1: about. Yes, we do actually have one more week in our prize giveaway, and we haven't mentioned it in the body of our podcast. We just have the promo at the beginning, but we are giving away an altered carbon coffee table book in the same style as the one that we gave away for The Expanse recently. It's by the same company, Titan Books who's got some great behind-the-scenes pictures and concept drawings and all kinds of stuff for Altered Carbon. So this one's called Altered Carbon, the art and making of the series. And all the rules are up there in the front of the podcast and in the article on Den of Geek. So you can check to see how to enter. But I just want to remind people that there's one more week after this podcast comes out. We are going to be choosing the winner on the next podcast, which we are recording on March 26th. So March 26th at noon is the deadline to enter. So check our Twitter feed for the pinned thread or the Facebook group for the pinned discussion topic and enter that way. One more week to go.
0: Yeah. And you guys all have, a lot more time on your hands this time, yeah, no so excuses. no excuse. Exactly. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and get this party started. And I'm going to start with my cheating episode, and it comes from the Fox series Fringe. And you know, like like all of us, we frequent a lot of different Facebook groups. So I forget where I read this. Somebody posted to one of the Facebook groups. You know, I was thinking about Fringe. Is it any good? Should I watch it? And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, (laughs) yes. And this is the episode White Tulip from the second season, 18th episode, written by showrunner J.H. Wyman and Jeff Vlaming, who also worked on Battlestar Galactica, X-Files, Xena. The episode aired April 15th, 2010. And White Tulip is such an important episode, not only within the context of the fringe world, but within the larger context of sci-fi television in general.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and I think it really could have incorporated a lot of different sci-fi elements just because of the nature of the show. They had a lot of flexibility built into the premise that allowed them to introduce a technology, in this case, that produced a time loop.
0: Yeah, and it's not necessarily a time loop in the sense of your definition, which is to the generally accepted definition for time loops. But here, not only do we have time loop elements, we also have time travel. But that's not all. We also have parallel universes in play in this episode. And in the series at large. (laughs) And in the series at large, but they all come together in this one episode because Walter Bishop has to face the truth about his son Peter's abduction from that parallel universe. So all that's kind of going on in the background behind the main time loop story. So I think for sci-fi aficionados, time travel fans like the two of us and you know many of you guys out there, this this episode checks all the boxes. And the white tulip becomes a symbol for forgiveness in the show. And it, it just becomes so meaningful far beyond what we see here
1: right and considering the fact that the entire show the entire series in the finale becomes a sort of reset that's kind of a time loop too exactly
0: so in terms of this episode we've got mit professor played by peter weller and i read an interview with him he's one of these actors you know we all know him i don't do television And his wife said, well, you might want to read this script, (laughs) (laughs) which he did. And in this episode, his character uses time travel to try to prevent his fiance's death. So he keeps going back. But the fringe team gets involved because they're called in to investigate multiple deaths on a train. And it all relates to his attempts to go back and prevent his wife's uh, his fiance's death. But these people end up being collateral damage and what Walter Bishop and the fringe team figure out is that Alistair Peck Weller's character is draining energy not only from the machines but also from individuals as a means of powering his time travel device which I think is uber cool
1: yeah you can almost track how many times he's tried to do this changing of history By how many people have been drained.
0: (laughs) Yes. And, you know, not a true Groundhog Day narrative, but he goes back in time to avoid detection. And we get that great scene when he and Walter Bishop come face to face, one scientist to another. And we don't often see Walter in the situation where he's trying to be the man of reason. Yet here he is trying to reason with this fellow scientist And he opens up with, you know, this discussion about the consequences of messing with time, which is, of course, a universal theme in time travel stories.
1: And it's also kind of ironic, given the dangers of messing with parallel universes, Mm -hmm. which he has done.
0: Right. And also in this episode, we learn that Walter has become that rare scientist scientist who's also a man of faith in a higher power. And I mentioned the white tulip earlier. It becomes a sign not only of God's forgiveness, but hopefully for him, Peter's forgiveness as well, once he learns the truth about who he really is. So it's just a phenomenal episode. I mean, you could watch it without the other context of the series, and, and I think you'd still get a lot out of it. But I'd also encourage you to start episode one, season one.
1: (laughs) Start from the beginning. Yes. This is the time to binge watch or rewatch a lot of different series. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, well, I can see other people on the Facebook group also put white tulip. So I don't think people will disagree with your use of the time loop here. I did notice a pattern to all three of my answers, and that is that they all come from shows that aired on sci-fi network. So I thought that was interesting, but... Some of them go back a little ways and some of them are extra current. I'll start with the oldest one. I think it's the oldest one. And that is from dark matter all the time in the world. Season three, episode four season three was the final season. And this was definitely one of the best episodes from that season. Not only because of the time loop, but also because it gave Anthony Lemke a chance to really shine as three, because I think you'll agree with me that, two and five really kind of stole the show and it was nice to see three in his element because he wasn't always the most likable character
0: (laughs) exactly and that's what's so fascinating about this episode is that we finally come face to face with a decision we have to make about whether or not he's a good guy or not i don't want to say bad guy because he's not a bad guy but do we really like him or do we tolerate him
1: And that's the thing. The time loop allows him to learn things about his crewmates and change his behavior accordingly. And I think that's a really great way to show growth in his attempts to break out of the time loop. Now, at first, of course, he doesn't really know why this time loop is happening just to him. And he can't figure out how to convince his crewmates that it's happening. His first attempt is, of course, to explain to the android what actually is happening from the technical standpoint, but he can't seem to memorize from one loop to the next, the scientific uh, words that are needed to tell the Android what's going on. And it's not until he actually learns French over the course of several time loops that he's able to get their attention because obviously they know he didn't know French yesterday from their point of view.
0: <laughs> now, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, he recognizes he's in a time loop does kind of seem to be i don't want to say a requirement but that there's generally only one person that realizes the loop's going on
1: yeah and one of my other examples has two people but yeah it's usually they're trying to convince those people around them that this is happening so that they can get some help breaking out of it and what's interesting is that it plays right into the main plot of the episode because in this episode, they're foiling an attacker from Rio, who you remember used to be number four and is now an emperor trying to take over the galaxy or whatever. He's trying to take the blink drive from the Raza. He does succeed and in fact kills a lot of people, but, but the time loop is what allows them to do multiple attempts at preventing this attack. But the more effective aspect of the episode is actually the teaching of three how to be more observant and accepting of his crewmates, like I said. For As my example, uh, there's this great conversation where Five is kind of down in the dumps because Six, which is Roger Cross's character, has left the Raza at this point. And I still never quite figured out why he did that. It was kind of a narrative contrivance to get him in the correct place for the finale. But that being said, Five was not happy about Six departing. And Three's advice initially only served to frustrate her more because he was kind of mansplaining it to her. And it isn't until in one later loop he offers sympathy and just listens without offering advice that he finally earns a smile from Five and her respect. So that was definitely a lesson that he couldn't have learned any other way other than repeating the conversation over and over again. So really kind of a poignant way to use a time loop. Right, and it's
0: so anti character for what we've seen out of him to that point to to actually take the time to listen rather than just simply
1: react. Exactly. And so it allows his character to evolve and it would have been le- nice to see that evolution carry through to a season 4, but such as it is, this episode is also what gives us android's time jump speaking of time travel into the future where she sees an older version of 5 sort of spouting off prophecies about the dwarf star conspiracy, the black ships, the fall of the house of Ashida, and a bunch of other stuff that made us look forward to the finale. So in that sense, that episode was a very pivotal one for the season anyway. And I think most time loop episodes are that way rather than just bottle episodes, which they easily could be accused of being.
0: Yeah. I mean, just a wonderful scene. Uh, It's, you know, once you bring it up and it takes my mind back to that, episode it just it it just kills me that they didn't get another season yeah we miss you dark matter (laughs) ah so all right well another show that yeah we we certainly miss it but it it did get a reasonably satisfying conclusion that is travelers and the episode is 17 minutes from the second season seventh episode written by showrunner creator brad wright directed by amanda tapping doesn't get much better than that you know
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like I should have mentioned that the episode of Dark Matter that I just talked about was written by a showrunner, Joseph Malozzi. So I feel like the big guns get involved (laughs) when it comes to these time loops.
0: Right. Now, this one aired November 27th, 2017, and this is really more of the traditional time loop because we see McLaren's team has been tasked with recovering a meteor that hits the Earth, eventually becomes the director's original power source because of, uh, I guess, whatever minerals or- Radioactive you
1: know, what, something or other. <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that, that's in the meteorite. And they're waiting by this lake for the splashdown. It hits, and suddenly faction gunmen come out of the water and kill all of McLaren's team. And, and of course, in the first iteration, we're thinking what the hell (laughs) is this a flashback a flash forward is it a parallel situation we just don't know but before we even have a chance to mourn their deaths the loop begins again which again is pretty traditional for time loop episodes and then we watch these two parachuters descend to try to prevent the deaths of mclaren's team And, you know, of course, the original approach here centers on the fact that the director sends new consciousness into each host body as each iteration occurs. So we've got these two parachutists coming down. The bodies are the same. It's the consciousness that changes.
1: Yeah. And multiple times during the same descent, if you put it together linearly, which is kind of weird because that's not technically a a true time loop. It's actually just the director doing some do-overs. In the same manner as the uh, time loop in person of interest where the computer is trying out different iterations. That's what I feel like it is here. When time travel is involved, you can have time loops from certain people's perspectives that don't exist for others. Right. And even though the consciousness changes with each
0: iteration, the host bodies remain the same, but they begin to show negative physical effects with each new consciousness that's implanted so now we've got that to deal with if that's not enough the faction uh, of course wants to steal the meteorite which theoretically would prevent the future existence of the director Uh, you mentioned the time travel element of it and then we've got this young woman Carrie who is one of the parachutists and she returns with each iteration to try to make a change that's going to allow her to eventually reach and warn McLaren's team in time. And it's almost like she's running the gauntlet. And that, I mean, really, it's like a video game.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And that each time she learns, okay, I got to take out that guy with the knife and then use the motorcycle to get here. So it's just fascinating. And I think for a lot of us, we wondered whether it had some sort of a video game element to it as she continued to run and relearn and make changes along the way.
1: Yeah, it was totally like she had five men. (laughs) in her lineup and she was redoing the level (laughs) again and again, and was running out of lives. I I do feel like it had a finite number of times that they could have even attempted it.
0: Right. And she only has 17 minutes to accomplish this task, which is of course the title of the episode. Eventually her body, reaches its physical limits and the director uses the male skydiver. Eventually they succeed and, and the future is of course kept intact. But from a narrative standpoint, it's just fascinating to watch. And again, with all of this stuff going on with McLaren and his team, all these personal interactions that take place in between, it's just a really great episode.
1: Oh yeah. Definitely one of my favorites. I think it caused a little bit of headache for some people at the time, but I think looking back on it, it definitely was one of the most skillfully written episodes that, that we've seen in sci-fi in general, I think. And, and I think that's true for all of the time loop episodes, including the next one I'm going to talk about, which is from 12 monkeys season two, episode eight, a classic episode called lullaby that has just lived on in all the fans hearts written by Sean Tredda who is definitely one of the top writers in the writer's room for that show. And boy, this show just is a tearjerker. It's a time travel conundrum for your brain, just twists your brain into knots. And there's just lots of stuff to love about it. But in this episode, for those of you familiar with 12 Monkeys, Jones has decided that the next thing that they're going to try <laughs> in order to stop this apocalyptic future from existing that they are living in. She's just going to go ahead and, and eliminate time travel altogether by sending Cassie Rayleigh back to assassinate her at Spearhead in 2020, just before Hannah died. And we know by this point that the death of her daughter during the outbreak is really what motivated her to finish the time travel project That was in progress at Project Splinter anyway, because I don't think she would have attempted it had she not been motivated by trying to undo her daughter's death. So the only way to get this done, kill herself, have Cassie kill Dr. Jones before time travel is invented. And then all of this stuff won't fall into place the way it did.
0: Well, and such a selfless act. But has it become a trope in these sorts of storylines that they're all about going back and saving somebody and preventing their death.
1: Well, I think at this point, because season one was multiple attempts to kill people in the past that were key members of the outbreak, key players in the outbreak. So that wasn't working. (laughs) So yeah, it is kind of surprising that they would decide to go back to this old method, but because maybe that they're willing participants, I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. Somebody that they can get closer to, But she's feeling very fatalistic, Jones is. And so even though she sent Cassie on this mission, she didn't tell Cole about it because she knew that Cole would try and stop it, which he does, of course. He tries to go back and stop Cassie, but each time she actually succeeds in killing Jones, the day resets itself and they get bloody noses, which increase in their intensity each time they try it. So you know that this is only going to happen a few number of times, but you know, whether they get killed, whether Jones gets killed, the reset is happening all by itself. And this is the first indication we get in the series that time is almost a living thing and it wants time travel to exist and is preventing them from making this particular change by putting them into a time loop. And so it really is, they have to figure out what they can do to, get the result that they're looking for without killing Jones. And so basically they have to bring hope to Jones in some fashion. And it's really a pivotal moment when they realize that Hannah, the daughter that supposedly died from the outbreak is actually one of the immune and the fever was actually from some different infection. So they definitely want to try and use this. And it's Jennifer, of course, who is a primary and can see all the different connections throughout time She's actually in detainment at the spearhead facility and recognizes what Cassie and Cole from the future are trying to do. So she suggests that they should try doing something, but nothing, which actually is a very meaningful phrase when you parse it out, even though it seems to be nonsensical at first.
0: <laughs> oh, well, and again, how Jennifer uh, <laughs> is that line. But, you know, you also mentioned the bloody noses and that, and that whole sequence that you know, lead up to the attempted assassinations. Well, I guess they're not attempted uh, of Jones, but <laughs> just creating that sense of urgency, not unlike what was going on in the travelers episode that, you know, pretty soon something's going to give.
1: Yeah. We're going to have to figure this out or we may die back here. So that definitely helps with the tension of the episode, but with this phrase doing something, but nothing really just is referring to, you're going to have to change history from the perspective of those of us in the future without actually changing what people perceive to have already happened. And so that's where they came up with this beautiful plan to make Jones of the past. And I love how their future is 2020, which is what we're living through right now. But Jones has to believe that Hannah died so that she does invent time travel, but they're secretly going to actually save Hannah because the baby is immune and have Jennifer and the hyenas of 2020 raise them among their tribe. And so when they return to 2044, they are able to reunite Hannah with her mother in quite possibly the most heartfelt scene I have ever experienced (laughs) in my watching of sci-fi. I remember I was watching it at work the first time I watched it and I was like standing and, openly weeping at that point in the episode what a phenomenal episode still lives on in my memory as one of the best episodes of of science fiction television ever and a big part of that is because of the well-executed time loop
0: yeah and it's not easy i mean you got a show that arguably is one of the more complex <laughs> shows on television yeah and yet they end up weaving this this sequence so beautifully that yeah it makes perfect sense and it's so emotional as you said it's just
1: They had to do a time loop because they did every other iteration of time travel throughout that series. And to not do the time loop episode or the Groundhog Day episode would have been a travesty. So I'm glad they did it and did it so well.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. All right, Mike. Well, I'm going to finish up with the show that really reawakened my interest in sci-fi television. And that is, of course, The X-Files. The episode comes from the sixth season, 14th episode titled Monday, written by Vince Gilligan and John Scheiben. Uh, we know Vince Gilligan from all sorts of Raking shows. Breaking Bad. breaking <laughs> Bad, uh, of course directed by Kim Manners, who directed, oh, 52 episodes of X-Files, and this one aired February 28th, 1999. So this is an oldie. Don't want to say it's the first. (laughs) I'm sure it's not. The
1: listeners will bring up that one in in a bit.
0: (laughs) And this is, for all intents and purposes, a standalone episode not related to the alien conspiracy arc. I read a lot of these list makers refer to it as a monster of the week. Well, there's no real monster unless you want to talk about the you know, monster inside man. But the world is trapped in this loop. And there's only one person that knows what's happening, which is uh, something we talked about a few minutes ago. And we see this bank robbery committed over and over. But at the core of the situation is that there's a bombing of the building That is also in the cards and and we want to prevent this from happening. So I love cold opens. This is one of my favorite, most frightening cold opens because we find Mulder bleeding from a gunshot wound. He and Scully are hostages of a man who plans to blow up this building. And we see Bernard blow up the building. Yeah. Presumably killing everyone. And then the loop
1: starts. Yeah. And and so you're left to wonder, wait, did we just see what we think we saw? That would have included Mulder and Scully. Yeah. But I love how they
0: do it because the loop begins as Mulder is at home in his bed. And
1: of course, at that time, we're looking to see if Scully's with him. But uh, alas, (laughs) no, at this point. Well, But I must point out that he wakes up to an alarm clock, which is very much reminiscent of the 1994 film. Groundhog Day, so I feel like this was one of the first to do a a more direct interpretation uh, or or imitation. (laughs) Yes.
0: And, you know, we see him, we're breathing a sigh of relief, he's clearly safe in his bed, but then he goes to the bank and the loop begins again. And it's only Bernard's girlfriend who seems to be aware of what's happening and attempts to prevent the bombing. And we see her try to explain to Mulder and even Skinner at one point that they're caught in a loop. And again, as we all know, trying to explain to these people that, you know, (laughs) you're caught in a loop. Yeah. okay. what have you been drinking? And (laughs) and of course, we see a little bit of that here. Eventually, after many iterations, Mulder seems to realize that Bernard has a bomb and it's that recognition as if the characters are learning something and retaining something again, not unlike the travelers episodes where Carrie it's like she's playing in a video game. And and for this episode, it's Mulder that realizes, Oh, he's got a bomb. And then we get this tragic ending that finally breaks the loop and There's a terrible cost involved, and I'm not going to reveal it because, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil things, but just just a really fantastic episode that I, I guess to a certain extent, they all have you on the edge of your seat throughout. But I suppose because of the nature of this man with a bomb strapped to his chest, it's frightening on so many levels.
1: Yeah. And I want to mention that this is the only one of the six that was not seconded by someone on the Facebook group. So it is one that I think people might've forgotten about in their thinking through of their own sci-fi TV watching experience. So I'm glad you brought this one up because um, it was a hidden gem.
0: Yeah. Some of our listeners were probably like three or four years old in (laughs) elementary
1: school at that point. (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes it's hard to go deep. Although some people did. And I know like people like Richard Murray and and others try to dig into the vault, but (laughs) But my third one is one that, thankfully, I was not the only one that noticed it this year in 2020. The Magicians episode from season five that recently aired called Oops, I Did It Again, written by Hilary Benefield. It's the only episode, time loop episode written by a female writer, so I'm, I'm glad she made it onto this list. But, you know, ignoring for the moment that all of season one of The Magicians technically counts as a time loop since Dean Fogg and Jane Chatwin took 40 attempts with this group of break bill students to defeat the beast episode 506 was definitely the best episode of the final season so far in my opinion i think it's the only one i gave five stars so far this this year and and we've got a couple episodes to go as as we're recording this podcast but you know with season five being the final season of the magicians it's good that they had a five-star episode in there and of course it's the time loop episode and I think a big part of the reason it was so successful is because it involved two of the best characters in the series, Margot and Elliot.
0: Oh, no question. And as I've said before, this is a show I came to late, and I'm finally caught up on season five. And uh, it just uh, for a character to transform as much as Margot has, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. I love her. And again, that's not to slight Elliot, who's a great character, but he's pretty much been the same, more or less. he,
1: He has changed too, but yeah, you're right. In season one, Margot, I did not like her at all as a character, and now she's just one of the most wonderful people with some of the greatest dialogue in the series, but It's cool that they actually applied something from an earlier episode that also involved time travel because they had to rescue some of their classmates, as it were, (laughs) from the past in Fillory. So they had applied this body spray that they called Permanence, which was just a device to allow them to make these changes to the past without them forgetting about it. You know, they, they could actually have permanent thoughts, as it were. And so because they still had that spray on them, they were the two people that could detect this time loop was happening basically during an apocalyptic event on earth. So I thought that was a really nice tie in that was not contrived in any way. You know, it really felt like it was a cohesive tie across episodes, but what happened was that the world was being threatened by this massively destructive magical surge that lined up with a harmonic convergence, which I assume is sort of an aligning of the planets which also involved Earth's own satellite, the Moon. So they figured, (laughs) in kind of their hubristic kind of way, well, if we move the Moon slightly to the left, (laughs) we'll prevent this horrible catastrophe from happening. But the problem is, in the episode right before this one, they kind of fight at a critical moment and crack the Moon in half. So all these pieces are hurtling towards Earth, and this time loop is reset back uh, it looks seems like 12 hours or so each time the world ends so everyone dies and Margot and Elliot wake up at an earlier moment in that day and and i love how they come to that slow realization as all these characters do across all the different shows we've talked about
0: well yeah and you know obviously they're in desperation mode at this point And they've certainly considered unintended consequences with a lot of the actions that they've taken in the past. So on the one hand, it's sort of odd that they don't factor in moving the moon.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, they might be a big deal over the course of the five seasons. These kids have and they're not even kids anymore. These young adults have actually took it upon themselves to be the saviors of the world multiple times and they don't even question it anymore. It's just their job. So I think it's interesting too, that, you know, they're able to use it for humor. Like they try to use Penny's traveling ability at one point, but he's kind of flying blind and completely obliterates himself into a explosion of blood, but it doesn't matter because they can just reset the time loop anyway. (laughs) So it's played to comedic effect wonderfully as the show is able to do. But as it turns out, and this is going to sound like complete nonsense if you haven't watched the show, (laughs) but it turns out that this loop is being caused by the whales who, who are magicians themselves charged with protecting the world from the kraken whose prison was opened when the moon cracked and fell to earth. And the time loop is kind of a fail safe on the prison door. So I just love how that plays out. Elliot has to learn throughout the course of the episode how to work on his own again, because Margot gets knocked out of the loop for a little while, but what a great episode. And and the fact that it it is able to use Margot's and Elliot's humor uh, to such great effect. And, and Josh, uh, when he becomes aware of the time loop actually refers to groundhog day at one point and realizes what Elliot's dealing with kind of jealous of him. In fact, (laughs) that he gets to do a time loop being the fan of pop culture that Josh is. So I'm really going to miss this show. So for it to have a time loop episode in it, and, and I know the, the final musical episode is coming up this week as this podcast airs. So I'm looking forward to that one last time as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to do three of your favorite
1: shows. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely from the good old days of sci-fi, because I, I feel like we're not reviewing quite as many sci-fi shows these days. But sci-fi has been kind to us here at Sci-Fi Fidelity for interviews and a lots of other things, too. So we've enjoyed lots of their shows. But let's go ahead and get into some of the shows that the listeners mentioned because they took care of all the different holes in the list that we weren't able to cover with our restriction to just six. And we'll start off with Star Trek because that show rightfully got a few mentions. Jeff and Brian both brought up the Star Trek Voyager episode, Coda, whereas Faith pointed out the Next Generation episode, Cause and Effect, which was noted in a in an ensuing discussion that it actually came out before the movie Groundhog Day. So you might say that that one kind of predated the term Groundhog Day episode and it was just a good old-fashioned time loop. And you know someone had to mention the more recent Star Trek Discovery episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, and Richard took care of that one. So.
0: Now, Richard also mentioned the entirety of Russian Doll, and, and you and I talked about whether or not we should cover Russian Doll, but kind of opted out because the entire series, yeah, is a, a not time just loop. one episode. Yeah, Black Mirror's Bandersnatch, which I still haven't seen. I, I think what scares me away from that is that I know um, I'm basically saying I'm gonna have to watch it again to, <laughs> see, <laughs> to see the other <laughs> exactly to see all the how the choices affect the storyline. Arrow's reset. Casey, I guess this is Casey, your brother, wondered if Undone as a series counted. No, Casey, no. All right, (laughs) you say, yeah. Yeah, so, of course. Mostly episode two, though, The Hospital.
1: Yeah, I think that's where the time loop really is a main part of the storyline of the episode. But, yeah, Undone counts, definitely, for sure. But Richard also mentioned the Fringe episode White Tulip, which you did, Dave, as did Brian. And Brian rounded out his submission by agreeing with The Traveler's classic, 17 Minutes, which Grace and David also chose. So I think actually 17 Minutes got the most votes out of any episode on the list. So that's pretty cool. Okay.
0: Now, other people mirrored our picks, including Steve with The Magicians. Oops, I did it again. Maria, of course, with The Twelve Monkeys episode Lullaby, which Runa seconded. And Carolyn, who's a huge Dark Matter fan, remembers all the time in the world fondly, as does Benita.
1: And several people seconded Christopher's choice, the Stargate SG-1 episode, Window of Opportunity, which David appreciated that they actually mentioned Groundhog Day in that episode as well. Did you actually see that episode, uh, Window of Opportunity?
0: Oh, yeah, I I binged the whole series it took me about a year and a half but
1: i i did see them all i'm gonna have to check that episode out because i feel like i've missed out on a good one there and taltos brought up the librarians and the point of salvation as well as the eureka episode i do over so that's those are a couple of really good examples that i think might have slipped through the cracks if taltos hadn't brought them up
0: and what a great title for a time loop episode (laughs) yeah And finally, Faith contributed the Supernatural episode, the mystery spot. How could we not have a time loop episode in one of the 39 seasons of Supernatural? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, David mentioned Buffy's life serial. Yeah, I did consider that. And again, Buffy's something that I came to late and actually saw that episode probably about four or five months ago. Uh, although he does admit that only part of the episode was a time loop and that's true, but you know, that still okay.
1: counts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think we pretty much covered a lot of them. So I'm so glad that the listeners pulled their weight on this one and, and mentioned the ones that we were not able to fit into our list. And that's why it works so well. So that's our discussion topic for this month. And actually we have an extra Sunday in March, which does happen every few months where we have to have a fifth topic. And for this one, we're going to talk about devs, which is happening on Hulu. Now, this is something that I actually was so enthusiastic about the first episode that I put it on our schedule. And then as I got farther into the season, I'm like, well, is this actually science fiction? Because it's pretty dark, but it's by the same person who did Ex Machina and and Annihilation so you know it's just got that dark sci-fi feel to it that is kind of like technology gone bad so I'm really enjoying this season so far and it is week by week so we're going to discuss the first two episodes and do a little bit of a spoiler zone for the episodes that have aired prior to that but hopefully you guys are following along with that have you been enjoying it so far Dave?
0: Uh, I haven't started yet
1: believe it or not yeah (laughs) okay you got some homework and i'm interested to hear what dave thinks of it as well because it is not necessarily the same flavor as what we usually go for so a little darker and i like that but that's next week on the podcast that's going to be it for this episode of sci-fi fidelity keep the discussion going on social media you can follow den of geek on twitter and facebook at den of geek us and we are at sci-fi fidelity
0: In the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. And be sure to continue sending us your suggestions for future topics. And you can do that via social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com.
1: Don't forget to enter the drawing for our Altered Carbon coffee table book giveaway. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.